3, verses 7 through 12 today. My printer did not cooperate with me. It's on holiday, right, holiday break. And so that's why I have my computer up here today. We're looking at Matthew 3, 7 through 12. But when he saw many of the Pharisees, that is John the Baptist, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, brood of vipers. I love John the Baptist. He was not one that would win friends and influence people. He was a straight shooter. You bunch of snakes is what he says. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I. Notice this. John the Baptist considers himself to be gentle compared to Jesus who is coming later. I'm being soft on you. I'm just baptizing you in water. There's one coming after me that's mightier than I am. He'll baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. I'm being gentle. He's going to be tough. I was reading a blog this week from uh, a Christian blogger, and, and it, was, it was preaching and teaching such a soft view of Jesus. It was an error. It was portraying Jesus in a way that he has not portrayed in Scripture, but you can pick certain Scriptures and make him look that way. And I thought, what a shame this blogger is portraying a Jesus that's not from the Bible. Here John is talking about not a gentle Jesus, but the lion from the tribe of Judah, right? A mighty Jesus. He's mightier than I. I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes or tie his shoes. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand. And he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor. He will gather his wheat into the barn. He will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And I'm starting a series today entitled Feed the Fire. And I would like to say a prayer. Father, thank you so much for your word. I pray that you would just speak to our hearts today as only you can. And for this, we give you praise in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. Say feed the fire and you may be seated. We need to end 2016 and begin 2017 on fire for God. On fire for God. It's really the only way that we as individuals and a church can grow. We don't want to welcome people home to a church that's not on fire. Right now in Ascension Parish, there's a burn ban. But there is not a burn ban on the Holy Ghost and fire, as a matter of fact. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, Do not quench the Spirit. The sentence implies you. Hold that candle. You hold that for me. Stand there and hold it. Hold that candle for me, son-in-law. The, the scripture says, do not quench the spirit. The implication is you. 
You do not quench the Spirit. Speaking of the Holy Spirit. And it's saying you do not. Here's the idea. Let's see if I can do this. Thank you. Now, Brendan, what I want you to do is I want you to snuff it out with your finger. <laughs> Thank you. I didn't think you'd do it. Awesome. Awesome. He's saying, I don't want you to snuff out, snuff out the flame of the Spirit. To me, that's amazing. What are you talking about? Me? Little old me? Human being? Snuff out? Quench the Spirit of the eternal God? The God who spoke the worlds into existence? The God who parted the Red Sea? The God who raised the dead and healed the sick? He's saying, you, D-H, you, the rest of you, do not quench the fire of the Spirit. Do not put it out. The implication is we can. We can snuff out the Spirit of God. And we can put it out in our lives, and we can put it out in our church. We have the power to put a burn ban on the Holy Spirit when it comes to our own lives and our church. Now, we can take this scripture to its logical end as well. And we can say that if we can put out the Spirit, then we can help fan the flame of the Spirit. Wouldn't you say? If you can do one, you can do the other. So we can either snuff it out or stir it up. We can be an extinguisher or we can be an Accelerator. I think I've got a couple of these things down here. Brendan. This would be an accelerant, right? This would be, thank you. This would be an extinguisher. I can extinguish the fire or I can accelerate the fire. In this series, we're going to look at some extinguishers and accelerants. There are some things that put it out. There are some things that stoke it. And I'm preaching this today because right now I, I think there are maybe some of us, maybe a few of us, but as a whole, as a church, I'm just going to speak to you as pastor. Can I do that today? As a church, we are not on fire. Not yet. We're not on fire. Not yet. We will be. But we're not on fire. Not yet. Not the way God wants it to be. I just preached my vision for 2017, Welcome Home. And we're going for it. We're going to see this house filled. We're going to see the last and the least, the broken and the torn, the weary and the worn come in this house. God's going to do amazing things in their lives. He's done it for us. He's no respecter of persons. He'll do it for anybody. And we're going to open this, this thing wide open this year. But, but I've had a vision for many, many years, and I'm captive to this vision. It's a vision of a church that is so filled with the power of God. And that's what I mean by the fire, the spirit, the fire of God, the power of God. But I've had a vision of a church so filled with the power of God, the fire of God, where lives are changed and chains are broken, and it's hard to have normal church. Where normal church is ruined, yet Ruined lives, being rescued, becomes the normal. In other words, we can't have normal church where we're in control, 
But God moves in this house, and we let him have control. And, and lives are forever changed, and normal church is out the window. That's what I mean by the fire of God, the fire of God. John the Baptist said, there's one coming after me who will baptize you in the Holy Ghost and fire. There was a church. We planted a church. I've got to turn this organ off. I, I'm sorry. I'm walking over here. I was told that when I go to get my illustrations, uh, it's distracting. So that's why I had Brendan come up. And then here I am breaking that and walking over to the organ and turning it off. We're, we're on a podcast also. We're getting ready to live stream. And I'm all nervous about it. And so I'm like trying to preach like I'm live. And I have a hard time doing that because I like to take breaks, you know, and say things I shouldn't and whatever. But I'm trying to behave. Y'all pray for me. Everybody say blessing. When I was, you know, growing up, the, the young preacher that didn't know how to preach would get up and preach, and, and the old women would go, bless him, Lord, bless him, Lord. And so, sometimes I feel like that guy still. But <clears throat> here's the deal. Here's the deal. That scripture that says there's one coming after me who will baptize you in the Holy Ghost and fire is not often what we think of, especially in Pentecostal apostolic circles. When we planted this church in Bel Air, Maryland, we named our church Way of Life. And, and that was a cool name, and, and, and it stuck, and the church grew and whatnot. But there was another church in town that was named the Fire Baptized Church. And I would drive by that church on Conowingo Road in Bel Air, Maryland, and I would think to myself, what a profoundly stirring name that is, Fire Baptized Church. Why didn't we name our church Fire Baptized? Well, we went with, you know, gentle way of life gentle way of life church and, and 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 so that that church fire baptized church it's you know it's it's referring to the scripture right here but the holy ghost and fire is not a uh, a fire like wow that's just powerful and all that fire's a fire of judgment the holy ghost and fire that's a fire of judgment and and Jesus would, would, through the finished work of Christ, would come the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that fire of God wants to burn out the sin and the trash and the garbage that is in our lives so He can do something new and special in our lives. My grandparents were in Waldo, Arkansas most of my life, and I would spend some summers in Waldo, which is southern Arkansas. You've seen that, Where's Waldo? Waldo's in southern Arkansas, right? And it's near Magnolia. It's not too far from Lambertine and some other places like that. But Waldo, my grandfather was a pastor and the mayor of Waldo. He was like Andy Griffith. It was a, it was a cool little place. But my grandparents burned their trash. There are people around here that do that as well. We've burned some trash out here. They had a burning barrel. And we would take the trash, the grandkids would, out to the burning barrel, put it in there. And one of the highlights of my life there was to burn the trash. Fire, you know, burn the trash. And we didn't have fire sticks like that back then because I'm old. We had matches. And you'd do a match or a lighter and, you know, a little lighter close to it. And we would light that trash up. I'll never forget one time my cousin Randy and I, we got a big old bunch of green styrofoam that came from something my grandparents had. And we lit that stuff up in the burning barrel, and it burned 
like nobody's business. It was an amazing fire. Black smoke for days. Just It was super hot. I don't know what was in that fire, styrofoam stuff, but it probably shouldn't have been in the bar burning barrel. And we burned it up because that's where the trash went, and you burned up the trash so the house wouldn't stink, so the house wouldn't have trash all up in it. We would go burn it. And the fire of the Holy Spirit comes to burn up the trash in our lives. And the fire of God has always been associated with an altar of sacrifice. When Abel built an altar and offered a sacrifice, the fire fell. In the tabernacle, the fire would fall when the blood was sprinkled on the Ark of the Covenant when the priest finished his work. Now, Jesus was the sacrifice. The fire of the Holy Spirit has been poured out since the day of Pentecost. However, Paul said to the church at Rome, I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, H-O-L-Y, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. There is this idea of a holy sacrifice, a presentation of ourselves to God, bringing our, our lives, spirit, soul, and body to God. I am convinced that we cannot have the fire of God without an altar of personal sacrifice. As a matter of fact, if we have fire without sacrifice, it's a strange fire that did not come from God. I don't have time to get into the story, but there is a story that illustrates what I'm speaking of found in your Bible, 1 Kings 18. I'll kind of tell it to you. You've got Elijah. You have a nation that is steeped in idolatry. It's, it's an, an era where the true and living God is revered, but there are other gods who have come in. The God of Baal, the gods of the groves have come in, Baal and Astra, and you have priests and you have the worship and the mixing of these gods, even though people said, I love the true and living God. And so it was a very difficult time, and there was a drought, there was famine, and uh, Elijah said, it's not going to rain, there's not going to be dew until I say so. He summons the king and 850 false prophets, brings them to a mountain called Carmel. It's in your Bible, 1 Kings 18. And on one side are the 850 false prophets, and on the other is Elijah. And you've had this famine, and, and, and they set up this altar. He says, here's the deal. The God that answers by what? By fire will be the true and living God. We're going to have a showdown. We're going to have a test here. We're going to find out who the true and the living God is. We see that in both the Old and the New Testament, Paul and Moses both say that our God is a consuming fire. God is always associated with fire. And so the God that answers by fire, Elijah said, he will be the one. And so those 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah, the God of the groves, they set up camp and they began to call on the names of their gods and they began to offer up sacrifices. They cut themselves. They did all kinds of contortions and, and whatnot. And you know the story. Nothing happened. And Elijah made fun of them, just ridiculed them. It's hilarious, some of the things he said. Your God's on vacation. Maybe he's just gone on a trip. You know, he's in Florida. He's in the Keys. Then he turned it around. He's like, well, maybe maybe he's not on vacation. Maybe he's in the, the Louvre, you know, the, Louvre, you know, the bathroom. 
Maybe he's in the, I should, I should preach like I'm live, right? Maybe he's in the bathroom. And so he's making fun of them. Your God's far away. They are cutting themselves, and Elijah's just biding his time. And finally, nothing happened, and it was his turn. And he, he built an altar. That's the first thing that brought the fire. He built an altar. We, in my day, we, we had altar benches in church. Anybody remember the old altar bench? The Methodists were famous for the altar bench. The mourner's bench is what they called it. And, and it was like a pew with no back. And it was around the front of a sanctuary like we're in today. It, it, was, it was the old mourner's bench. And the idea was people would be convicted and they would come to the altar and they would bow at the mourner's bench. Notice mourner's bench wasn't a rejoicing bench. It wasn't a happy bench. It was a mourner's bench, someone that was sorry for their sin. And they would bow the knee at the altar and they would cry out to God for mercy and they would lay their sins before him and they would present their bodies a living sacrifice unto God, uh, holy, acceptable. It's the reasonable thing to do. They would lay their lives out before God and say, forgive me. I need your help. I can't do this on my own. I have issues, Lord. I'm turning from them. I'm giving them to you. Wash me clean. Give me a fresh start. It was the mourner's bench. Elijah built an altar, started with an altar, and then he got the sacrifice and put it on the altar. We have churches with no mourner's benches. We have churches with no altars. We like to praise and rejoice and worship. I'm just being a pastor today. Can I do that? And we like to praise and worship and rejoice and thank God and smile and, and enjoy the presence of God when there's, there is a time to weep before God and to mourn before God because of our brokenness and our sin and our rebellion. He offered the sacrifice. And then he said, I want to get a bunch of water, barrels and barrels of it. I want to dig ditches around this thing, fill the ditch up with water, cover the sacrifices in water. Why did he do that? This was a time of drought. Water was very precious. Why did he do that? Because he didn't want anybody to think that somehow they had started the fire themselves. They had generated this fire themselves. They had sent the grandkids out with a match or a little lighter to light the trash on fire. That's not what he wanted. He wanted it to be obvious nobody started this fire except the true and living God. So they doused those sacrifices in water, covered the place in water, and then he played, prayed about a 60-word prayer, very short, very concise, prayed about a 60-word prayer. And when he finished the prayer, the fire of God fell and consumed the sacrifice. Church, I want us to understand today God is wanting to set this place on fire, but it's going to require from us an altar and sacrifice. As I'm saying this today, some of us are uncomfortable. And you know why? Because we like our stuff. We like our lives. We like some of the sins that we hold on to, to tenaciously. 
We like our lifestyle. We like doing what we want to do instead of putting it out on the altar and letting God have it so the fire can fall. I know a little bit about what I'm talking to you about. I know a little bit about it. Um, I've got some stories here, and I want to give you one of them. I left church when I was young. I was grew up in church, loved God, man, thought I was going to do something great for God. God used me a little bit, and then there was church trouble, and I felt like I was done wrong, and I got ticked off, and I left church. I walked away, said I'd never go back, hated church. It started, though, just as a few steps in the wrong direction, and before I knew it, I didn't even know if I believed in God. It was so far out there. I was very angry. Me and Valerie married out there. And uh, somehow, miraculously, mercifully, God brought us back into the Father's house. And on that journey, I slowly came back. And it was an a excruciating process uh, coming back. I had a lot of arrogance. I had a lot of issues. I had a lot of pride. And, and slowly, uh, I, I, it's like I was walking and slowly, Chad, just slowly dropping to my knees. It was a long process. I would bend and, 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 and sl- just it was slow-mo coming back to God for me. And in the process of coming back to the Lord, and I'm going to talk about something specific, but it illustrates it. You'll get it. When I was far away from God, I was out there, man, I was making all kind of statements, and I was angry. This is back in the 80s, way back, way back in ancient times. In the 80s, History Channel plays the 80s nowadays. You know, it's ancient, the 80s. Back there, I got got some earrings. I got a few. Well, you know, in Europe, if you got this side, it meant you were gay. But, no, in Europe, if you got this side, it meant you were straight. But in the States, if you got this side, it meant you were gay. And I was straight. And, uh, but I thought, I got to thinking about it. I thought, well, that's stupid. That, that whole thing's dumb. You know, probably religious people came up with that. So I got pierced on both sides. Got another one over here. Had earrings. Thought I was like, all that. I told you it's going to sound stupid. Especially nowadays, you know, like. Child's play. Back then, guys didn't get their ears pierced. It was like such a sign of rebellion, you know. And I was a rock star in my own brain. And uh, I got my ears pierced. And, and, and I was very, very proud of those earrings. And, you know, I'd get in fights. And earring get ripped off. And I'd be sure and doctor it up and put it all back in, get it just straight. I did hoops. And I tried, you know, I went through my whole, I had my jewelry box, right, <laughs> with my jewels in it. And. <laughs> Love my earrings. And when I was coming back to the Lord, when I was coming back, I, uh, I felt, man, I just felt a twinge of conviction that I needed to not wear my earrings. When I tell you it was a slow process, it was a slow process. And I bellyached about it and complained. And, and then I would take them out, and then I'd put them back in. I'd take them out, 
to go to church. And then I'd put them back in when I was away from church. And I'd, I, I didn't want to be associated with those fanatics. I'm open-minded. I'm liberal. I'm brilliant. I'm a rock star. And I would, I would put them in. And I would take them out and I'd put them in and I wrestled. I'm just, I'm giving you a point. It's a small point. It was such a big deal to me. But God was just constantly tweaking me and pushing me and saying, you need to give that up, Donovan. You need to give that up. You need to let that go, Donovan. And I would argue and complain. But there came a day in my life where I took them out and I never put them back in. And as I was preparing this message, the thought came to me, and I want to give it to you. Here's the deal. What difference did it make? I don't know all the change and all the difference that was made by that simple decision. But I can tell you this with confidence. Had I not bowed the knee to that convicting of the fire and the Holy Spirit of God and the calling to sacrifice for me, I would not be here today as the lead pastor of LifePoint Church. 25 years later, I can't tell you all the difference that it made, but I know it made a difference, and it was a positive difference, and that call to sacrifice meant something. And I feel what's missing in the church today is a call to sacrifice. It is a call to rejoice. It is a call to joy. Is it a, it's a call to happiness. But there needs to be a call to sacrifice that is in the church. Paying attention to that still small voice that says, I am asking some things of you that you don't like, but I am asking you to bring a holy and acceptable sacrifice that has to do even with your body or your thinking and your mind to bring it to me and lay it on the altar. If you will do that, my fire will burn out the trash and burn out. And what was happening to me was that arrogance and that pride and that attitude and that angst was being burned out of a young man as he just simply bowed the knee and said, you can have my ignorant earring. Does that make sense? How stupid is that? But to me, it was a, it was a sacred cow. It was a golden calf. I was halted between two opinions, serving this God and serving the true and living God. And God said, how long will you stay between these two opinions? Give me everything, Donovan, or give me nothing. Very small, very small, but very significant. The atmosphere of the church has shifted to where now there's no call to sacrifice. In the Old Testament, Genesis 35, you see, in, in Jacob, you see where there was a call to sacrifice. They took off jewelry uh, in, in the Old Testament at times, consecrated themselves to the true and living God, a call to holiness. And I'm afraid the modern church is not sounding that call at all. Paul said, I beseech you. The meaning is, I beg you, present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. Sacrifice is the fuel for the fire. It is an accelerant. And if you withhold sacrifice and refuse to surrender, there's no quicker way to extinguish the fire 
than that. And we need the fire of God. We need the surrendering to God more than ever. It may not seem like much to you now, but 25 years from now we'll tell the tale and you'll be so glad that you surrendered. One of the worst things you can do, and I think I'll get an amen out of this, is to go to the gas station and get some gas either in your car or in this little container for your mower or whatnot. And as you take out the, 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 the handle, the, the gas pump handle, and you go to put it in, you, you dribble some of that gasoline on you. Gets on your boot, gets on your hand, or, or maybe it sloshes out. Maybe you don't have a good lid on this thing. You put it in your car, and it sloshes out and gets on a rug of your truck or your car. There's not, there's, to me, that's one of the most aggravating things because that smell of gasoline is so pungent and powerful, you just can't get rid of it. And if you got it on yourself, you go wash up, but you still, it's there. Right, not to mention you could catch on fire. Right, <laughs> I'll never forget one time I was in Ohio back when I had earrings, and I broke down on the side of the road. It was 12 degrees, wind chill was probably below zero, and, and I was going to the gas station. Uh, I had no gas can, walked and got some buckets of gasoline, unauthorized container, and I was walking back to my car on 270 in Columbus, Ohio, and as I walked. That gasoline was sloshing out, and it covered my hand in sub-zero weather windshield, and, and I was so cold. I was almost willing. I had a lighter, I got to tell you. I was almost willing to light my hand on fire to get some warmth because I thought I was dying. I think I got a little frostbite from that situation. But that smell of gasoline is so pungent and so powerful. And it's because those fumes, man, there's just a strength. There's something about them. They just, they just, it's so powerful. And, and that's the way sacrifice is. Sacrifice is such an accelerant. It is so powerful. The fire of God smells that sacrifice and just consumes it. it it's not like. Uh, it, it's just, it's a quick reacting situation. Sacrifice is powerful in the eyes of God. It's powerful, it's profound. And even when I was out in the world and doing bad things, there, there was the residue, there was the residue of sacrifice in my life. Kind of like this can is empty. But I'm going to tell you, if you go put it in your car, your car is going to start smelling like gasoline because gasoline has been in here and there's the residue of gasoline in this can. That's the way sacrifice is. I had lived a life that had sacrifice in it, Cynthia, when I was young. I'd surrendered my life to God. I was a young preacher. I was on my way. God was doing great things in my life, but I got sidetracked and I got mad and I got bitter and I walked away. But there was still a residue of that sacrifice in my life. And, and other people who had that same residue smelled it out in me. And we ended up collecting together, a bunch of us backsliders is what people called us. We were a bunch of backsliders that all ganged up together and lived together and hung out together and partied together and did our thing together because 
we all recognize this. You, you got this in common. We just thought, well, you just got that culture in common. You come from that same background that I, you've been delivered just like I've been delivered. We're on the same, you know, we just, we thought we were all free and liberated. Really, what was connecting us was we all had a residue of living a life of surrender before God. We, we smelled it in each other. I could talk to somebody, I'm like, I know, that's your background. That's your background, girl. I, know, I think I know what your background is. And we would talk about it because there was that residue. I think there are churches that used to be filled with surrender and sacrifice. And now it's just a residue. It's sad, but there can be a spark and there can be a little explosion that takes place in that church. But it's just, just a little bit of what it used to be and what it used to be filled with. And how explosive that whole thing being filled up is as compared to just the residue. Can I get an amen? You understand what I'm saying, what I'm saying here. There's just that residue. It's so powerful. And I'm telling you, church, I don't want to be a church that has. I don't want to be a man that has a residue left. I want to live a life that is constantly surrendered to the Holy Spirit and to the fire of God. Constantly attracting the, the, the fire of God. Not that I'm earning it. Jesus already did the finished work, but I'm just lining up with it. And in light of the mercies of God, presenting my body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, and just saying, not my will, but your will be done, because the fire of God will fall on individuals and a church that stays in that position. I'm just trying to pastor. Just trying to challenge us for the year that's coming up. It's all about building an altar, offering a sacrifice, creating an atmosphere. I don't want to be an extinguisher that says, no, Holy Spirit, I like these earrings, Holy Spirit. And that's what I was dealing with. I like these earrings, Holy Spirit. I'm a, I'm a rock star. You don't understand, Holy Spirit. I'm a rock star. And the Holy Spirit said, no, you're my child, you're my servant. I know the plans that I have for you, plans to give you a hope and a future. I have plans for you, Donovan, and, and for you to go there. You've you got you to gotta make a sacrifice. You have to take up your cross and follow me. Deny yourself, Donovan. You may say you're a rock star, but deny that part of you. And, and take up your cross and follow me and see what I make out of you, Donovan. Don't extinguish the fire. Fan it into flame. Offer a sacrifice. Be an accelerant, not an extinguisher. My question is, what is God saying to you today? What is God asking of you today? What requirement is God asking of you to lay on the altar? What is it? I, I, he's not shown that to me as pastor. He's not revealed that to me through the gifts of the Spirit or prophetically. I don't know what it is for you. But what is the Holy Spirit saying to your heart? Give this to me and walk away. Let go of this and watch what I do with the rest of your life. Your first few years have been this and that and the other. But give me 25 years of walking and surrender and watch what I do in your world, in your life. Give it. What is God asking of you to surrender so the fire of God can fall in your life?
We had a bonfire last night here at the church, even though there's a burn ban. <laughs> we have a fire pit. I think those are legal. So we had a, a bonfire here at the church. It was, it was okay. It was just the young people. We had a bonfire here at the church. You know the thing about bonfires or your fireplace? If you don't continually replace the fuel, it burns out. You've got to continually replace the fuel. Elijah built an altar, sacrificed it, drenched it in water. He wanted to make sure everybody knew it was the fire of God. But when it was all said and done, it was licked up. It was gone. If there was going to be another demonstration, there would need to be another sacrifice. And when it comes to our lives, it's perpetual, folks. It is perpetual. It is a constant renewing, a constant giving, a constant bowing the knee, a constant asking God, what can I lay down? Maybe it's my pride. Maybe it's my arrogance. Maybe it's displayed or revealed or obvious through some external means. Maybe there's something you're asking of me. What is it, O oh Lord, my God? What do you ask of me? That whole idea of laying down your life and, and making it uh, an acceptable sacrifice that is holy before God is so powerful. And it is a missing element in the church. And when I say the church, I'm talking about Life Point Church. There's some sins. There's some, some, some weights that are holding us back and holding us down. And God is asking us. He's challenging us. Now is the time. As we go into 2017, as we end this previous year, what are you holding on to that needs to be burned up? What are you not letting go of? What accelerant are you dousing in extinguisher foam, trying to hide it and make sure it doesn't get near the flame? What is God wanting you to let go of? And let the fire of God burn up. Would you stand with me right now? Paul told the church at Rome in the end of that chapter, be fervent in spirit. It's literally be white hot. Be set on fire. In spirit. We're told not to quench the spirit. We're told to present our bodies a living sacrifice. God is a consuming fire. Isaiah 11 talks about the seven sp spirits of God as a fire before the altar. In the book of Revelation, we see heaven. We see the fire that burns at the altar. The fire of God always around the altar, always consuming the sacrifice. This is really kind of a heavy message, but it's really not that deep. It's just a message of sacrifice and surrender. What's God asking of you? What are you holding on to? What are you not letting go of? What, what's he saying to you? Where, where, where are the lines that you're, you're crossing that he's saying don't go across those lines? What, what, what's he saying to you? What's he saying to your heart? Why do you need a rule from me saying don't do that? What's the Holy Spirit saying to you? You know, we have different rules and things here at LifePoint, different teams, imp impartations, pe teams that impart, lead teams, 
got some requirements we ask of people. But it always grieves me that, 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 you know, there's a need for any kind of rule. But I know human flesh. I know myself. Sometimes I just need to be told, don't do this, Donovan. It's good for you. Just shut up. Don't do that. We, we, we live in freedom because of restrictions. There's a freedom that comes from living a life that's disciplined. And what's God asking of you? What's God saying to you? Give that up. Let that go. Don't go there. Stop that. Maybe it's on your computer in your private time. Maybe it's on your phone. Maybe it's relationships you're involved with. Maybe it has to do with your money. Maybe it has to do with, you know, your earrings. I don't know. Whatever it is, what's God saying to you? What's God speaking to you? I want to encourage you today. Lay it on the altar. Make it a sacrifice. And watch as the Holy Spirit begins to move in a powerful, ferocious way that is game-changing for not only now in your life, but in your future. Amen. Can you close your eyes with me? Father, I thank you so much for your word. We want to feed the fire. We don't want to starve the fire. We want to oxygenate this fire, Lord. We want to give it an accelerant. We don't want to hold it back and smother it and drown it out. Holy Spirit, we want you to work powerfully in us. We want to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, yes, and fire. The judgment of God that comes and burns out the stuff. We want to be cleansed. We want to live holy before you, God. And I know you are calling this church to that. I know you are calling us as individuals to that, Lord. And I want you to move powerfully today, God. May we not quench that, snuff it out, but God, may we fan it into flame. May we stir it up, Lord. As Paul told Timothy, stir up the gift that is in you. May we stir up the flame of the Holy Spirit on the inside and say, consume everything here, Lord. Take everything that's not of you, God. Burn it up in Jesus' name. Give me a hope and a future.